Um, if you did not yet, Joyce did find the words to the Dare to be a Daniel song that I um, could only remember the chorus of. And I think it's because I only have a chord chart for it. So for a, I don't play the guitar. I know the keyboard isn't there, so. <laughs> but she has, she had, she found the music. It has all four verses. And so um, be sure if you haven't yet, grab that on your way out. Um, it, it is this Daniel that the song is talking about, so, um, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to warn you in advance, if you need to sneak out early, go for it. This one's a little bit longer because it's sort of foundational to chapters 3, chapter 4, chapter 7, chapter 8. And so before we can get into those, we need to make sure we cover some things in Daniel chapter 2. So feel free to sneak out should you need to. We won't be forever long, but I don't want you to feel like, or if you need to just stand up and stretch your legs, I, I will not be offended. So, um, yeah. Okay. And that will be fine. So Daniel 2, um, the subject of dreams have come up a number of times during dinner at our house the last few weeks. It's been kind of interesting. Andrew had been reading about dreams, in particular about something called lucid dreaming. That's the ability to, to like manipulate your own dreams. You would have to ask him about it. He can explain it all, but there's something that if you're dreaming and you realize you're dreaming and you can look down and see your own hand then there's some way that you can actually i don't know it's weird but you can wake yourself up or you can change the you dream. can change the dream Ooh. apparently i there's yeah there's there's something about it and so so it has come up a few times he apparently came very close to this a couple of weeks ago when he was dreaming and then was very disappointed when he didn't remember to look down and look at his hand. So, but, but a lot of research has been done into dreams, into the reasons why we dream, into the um, importance of having dreams. And so dreams, just a little bit of information, dreams typically happen during what's called REM sleep. That's the rapid eye movement phase of sleep. That this is um, a time when the memory center of your brain is very active, but the area of your brain involving rational thought is not as active. That's why your dreams are a lot of times nonsensical. They don't like match up with what would happen in real life. I, I, I have no idea why this is a dream I still remember. But the only thing I remember about the dream is in the middle of a lake, there was this big wall, and it was a map of the United States, but the map was made out of oatmeal. I mean, that's the way that, that's the way that my brain worked at that point in time. I don't often remember dreams. For some reason, that one stuck with me. And yeah, who knows? But science is divided on whether dreams are just random neurons firing in your sleep or if your brain actually uses the dreams to help sort out memories and sort of make things happen. It has been shown, though, that when you reach that REM sleep, that particular sleep cycle where dreaming occurs, you don't have to dream to have reached REM sleep. but. Um, that it's been shown to help you process your emotions more effectively and and especially fear responses um, we've we've been watching star trek the next generation with our kids because ray and i are geeks and that's what we do um, so we are watching one episode per week and almost always it's on saturday nights at seven because when we were kids that's when it came on tv and we want the, our kids to experience non-DVR life, even though we're streaming and don't have any commercials in our Star Trek The Next Generation. You know, got to give them some experiences of, of the past, right? 
So the episode that we watched last week, it involved a rupture in space that trapped the, both the Enterprise and an alien ship. And in an effort to communicate an escape plan, the alien species suppresses the rim sleep and the dreams of the crew of the Enterprise. And as the episode progresses, the crew begins losing the ability to focus on even just mundane tasks. They start um, hallucinating, they start having violent outbursts, all because they don't reach that REM sleep cycle, or, uh, phase of sleep. And, and both the doctor and the, the ship's counselor um, both say this is due to a lack of REM sleep and a lack of dreams. That's, that's part of the importance of, of sleep. And while Star Trek is a science fiction show, and it does take many liberties in terms of science, these are all real symptoms of a lack of REM sleep. So why would I choose to spend the last several minutes telling you all about dreams and REM sleep? And that's because Daniel 2 is all about a dream. We start with King Nebuchadnezzar having a troubling dream. So I think I started on this side of the room, Daniel 2, 1 through 11. Somewhere over here. <laughs> In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me about my dream, uh, if you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have to cut. I will have you cut into pieces, and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards, and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time, because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however, great or mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among the men. So there we find out Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he's troubled. And so let's start with what should be the easy question. When does this happen? In the second year. <laughs> the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Excellent. It's exactly right. Keep in mind, though, chapter 2 begins our section that's written in Aramaic, and therefore it would have been counted on that Babylonian timeline. We talked about that just a little bit before the way they started kings and things like that. So in Babylon, the first year of rule is known as the accession year. And the first year of their reign is actually their second year of their reign. But they also didn't count the years like we would a birthday based on the date that it happens. It was based on New Year's Day. And so the, they could have had their year of accession could have been from, if we were using our calendar, from December 30th, and then their, their first year of their reign would have been January 1st. You know, so, so there is a little bit of, of difference in the timing there. Um, so it, it, the, it's just a, a little bit different, which is why, um, there, and there's also, sorry, let me add this, there's some historical records, because Babylon kept really good records, uh, that indicate King Nebuchadnezzar ruled at the same time as his father Nebuchadnezzar for about two years 
And so, so that's possible that they're counting those, they're counting those first two years still as Nebopolesar, and, and this would be, they started after, even though Nebuchadnezzar was ruling, they started it after. Either way, the timing listed here would be around three years, maybe four, after capturing Jerusalem. And so, so just to keep in mind, Daniel had, Daniel and, and his friends and, and all the captive youth that were being trained, it was a three-year plan. Again, that three-year plan was that Babylonian plan where it would go into three calendar years, but not necessarily 12-month periods the whole time. But, but he would have... Uh, he would have completed his three-year training plan at this point. This will come into play later, so just um, trust me on this one. This was, again, thank you to Dr. Sheard for that clarification. If you want to write that in your margin like we did in Chapter 1, you can write 602 B.C. in the margin if you would like. That's, again, an approximate um, just based on, on those... Uh, those calendaring changes there. So there's a lot that we can learn about King Nebuchadnezzar in these first, um, these first verses of the chapter. And so as we think about the who of our passage, let's list some of the things we learn about King Nebuchadnezzar. So what, what might be some things? He was wicked. He had he had a dream. So so his his um, he, he I I wrote down he was vicious and brutal in his punishments. He he really had an evil streak in him, kind of thing. But then he had this dream, and he knew that this dream had to be important in some way, right? There was something different about this dream for him to recognize that he needed to know what was going on with it. Yeah, what else? I wonder if he thought it threatened his power. He, yeah, he, he might have thought that it had threatened his authority. And, and, uh, and so that would tell you, too, that he's, he's not the most... Um, uh, oh, I lost the word that I had when I started my sentence. Confidence. That's the word. <laughs> he, he didn't have as much confidence in his, in his um, or likely didn't have as much confidence in his, in his power uh, at that point in time. Anything else? So one thing, if it was in his second year, he wouldn't have had a whole lot of experience. Right? So there's a level of, of inexperience that might have dealt with that confidence. Um, I'm going to show you my list here. And these are all things, and I think my list, I, I didn't write it in, my, in this version. I wrote it in a different version. But if you want to write them on your page 28 in your handouts, where it's that, what do we learn about kings Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus? Um, you can write that list there if you want to or wherever is fine, but that's sort of your place to write it. Um, so he was still young. He was inexperienced. He was having trouble sleeping. So he would have been tired. And what did we just say would happen if you were having trouble sleeping? You would, you would, you would have uh, those... those yeah, paranoia, the, the hallucinations can start happening, those violent outbursts can start happening. You can't think straight, necessarily. And his spirit was troubled. Um, the Blue Letter Bible, the word for troubled is the same as used for the striking of an anvil. And it, it just means it's disturbed, he's agitated, um, those types of things. He had this dream that he knew was important. It could have been a threat to his um, 
to his authority. He could have, it could have been, uh, it could have been anything. God used dreams throughout the Bible, both to Jews and to Gentiles. Um, and so, so this is not a new thing in any way. And then he was, he was vicious and brutal in his planned punishment. And so why do you think, and Dee said the, that he was wicked, had an, an evil streak, but why do you think his punishment was so harsh? He was going to rip the men limb from limb, and basically the, the wording there is he was going to turn their houses into dumps, to landfills. The, Yeah, firm in his decision. It was letting them know that he was serious. Yeah. He wanted to show his authority. Showing his authority. Showing his power. And then he was troubled by this dream, right? He knew there was something big about this dream. When we look at the dream itself in just a little bit, it's just a statue. Right? My wall of oatmeal map of the United States in the middle of a lake is just a wall of oatmeal in the middle of the lake. But he knew there was something different about this statue this, that he had. Um, and so, so there, was, there was a level of, of there was something different about this dream he knew it was important. He wanted it to be right. He wanted to know that the answer he was given was the right answer. And so then, so we have King Nebuchadnezzar. And who else is in this passage? In that, those first 11 verses. We have the king and who does the king talk to? The, yeah, the astrologers, magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, I think that was all the ones it said, right? The ESV uses that term Chaldeans. Sometimes Chaldeans refers specifically to the astrologers. Sometimes that it refers to all Babylonians. Um, obviously, in this case, it's, it's astrologers, and in most of the, most of its just astrologers, but every once in a while it's the whole Babylonian people. Um, so magicians, literally they're an engraver, a writer, possibly a scribe, a, a sacred scribe, but they would have used rites and spells with the intention of, of healing, of, of exercising demons, um, countering evil spells. They would have studied omens, they would have studied astrology to an extent, not as much as those astrologers, but, but there would have been some, uh, some level of that. The enchanters, they were um, a conjurer, a, a necromancer. They believed they were able to communicate with the spirit world. Sorcerers, this was, this was the typical witchcraft. They would have done the tricks like the ones that Pharaoh's um, magicians used to replicate the, the first several plagues in the Exodus. Uh, that that was what the sorcerers would do, um, and then the, and then the astrologers they would read the stars to determine one's to to, to determine one's destiny. Uh, they also kept records of the movement of the stars for science purposes. So they did look at it not just for destiny purposes, but scientifically as well. Interesting thing in 500 B.C., one Babylonian astrologer. He calculated the length of a year to be 365 days, 6 hours, 15 minutes, and 41 seconds. And in reality, was as we look at the science we have today, he was only off by 26 minutes. I mean, that's impressive for the amount of, of effort they put into looking at the stars, into studying the stars. And so, so these were not just normal men that he went to. They weren't just normal advisors. They weren't, um, they weren't military leaders. They weren't things like that. They were, they were educated men that had some sort of 
special training. Um, and, and so this is, this is who the king called on when he was troubled. They were skilled in that, in that area. They had likely done this before, uh, whether for him or his father. These would have been men that he likely inherited from his father's rule. And so um, why do you think that King Nebuchadnezzar didn't just tell them the dream and have them interpret it? Why do you think he said, tell me what the dream is and what the interpretation is? Okay. Yeah, he he. Qu yeah, questioned questioned their authenticity. He wasn't positive that they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, he. Um, some people say he might have forgotten the dream. The King James version uses. In, in verse 5, it uses the phrase, the thing is gone from me, is, is the uh, phrase it uses. When you look back to the actual um, Aramaic, again, blue letter Bible, that word for thing is the command. So he's definitely not talking about the dream has, has gone from him. It's this command has come out of my mouth. Um, and, and as, as we've, or as you've likely seen in other, uh, particularly Old Testament passages, once a king gives a command, it, it can't be revoked. And so that was, that was what he was saying there in, in chapter, in verse five, I mean. But also, if you think about how troubled, troubled he was by this dream, he would have had to have, I mean, it, if, if he didn't remember anything about it, why would it have been so overwhelmingly troubling for him? Um, plus, those wise men, they are telling him, but you should just tell us this dream. Tell us what you know, and we'll tell you what it means. The wise men knew that he knew what the dream was. And so, um, they, I mean, they were begging him literally begging him to reveal it to them. And so, so it's probably more of, of like Sandy said, not positive she can, that, that he can trust them yet, not positive that, that they are authentic, that they, um, that was likely what it was. And he also would have known that the dream was, was of utmost importance, right? He hadn't been sleeping. He had been so troubled by this dream of just this statue, right? Um, th but he knew this was no normal dream, and so he didn't want it to be treated like just a routine normal dream. Yeah, yeah, there is a level of, of that, that viciousness, that brutality that we, that we said about the punishment, but it was also a, a level of protection for the king because if he didn't want the wise men to go around and, and say, yeah, the, the king is off his rocker or anything like that, that would, that would not, um, yeah, that wouldn't, wouldn't be a great thing. And so, so yeah. They were, they were unable to do the assigned task. And so Warren Wearsby, he says, by issuing the impossible challenge, the king was unconsciously following the plan of God and opening the way for Daniel to do what the counselors could not do. These advisors had failed. And so let's see what happens next. Uh, Daniel 2, 12 through 16. so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all of the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When, when Ari, how do you pronounce that? Uh, I think I just called it Ariok. 
Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Dan- Nope, that that'll be it. That's yep. Okay. Yeah, so Daniel and his friends were not present when the king first asked the wise men. Um, but now we see they were going to be killed as if they were there. And so this is, this is where we, we get that feeling that the training has been completed. You wouldn't kill off the, the people who hadn't yet been trained that were your people, right? Um, and so, so this implies that their three-year training had been complete because they were going to be killed too. And, and again, Warren Wiersbe just nailed it when he said, the evil one is willing to sacrifice all his fa- false prophets in the city of Babylon if he can destroy four of God's faithful servants. Right? When you think about it that way, you think about this is, this is truly a, a spiritual battle, a God versus Satan battle. And, and Satan is willing to kill off every single one of his prophets to get Daniel and uh, Hananiah and Mishael. And what's the other one? Azariah. Thank you. I lost their names. So he's, um, yes, this is more than just a dream that's going on. And so how does it say that Daniel responded to Arioch? Uh, Arioch was the captain of the king's guard. Wisdom and tact. Wisdom and tact. The, um, the ESV uses the words prudence and discretion, but it's that, that prudence is the wisdom, the, the counsel. The discretion is the, is the discernment, the, the reason, uh, that, that uh, kind of the, the intelligence of it. And this was similar to how he dealt with Ashpenaz in chapter 1 with the food. Right? Daniel makes an arrangement to try to solve the problem. He says, hey, give me a shot. Right? So then we get to Daniel 2, uh, 17 through 23. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might, who changes times and seasons, who removes kings and sets up kings, who gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding, who reveals deep and hidden things, who knows what is it, what is in the darkness. And the light dwells with him. To you, O God, my Father, I give praise and thanks, for you have given me wisdom and might, and now, and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us this matter, this matter. This is such a wonderful passage of scripture. But before we continue, I want I want to read verse 16 again from our previous passage. It says, And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Right? That's verse 16. In 17, he goes home and he tells, he tells his friends. And then in verse 19, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. So Daniel made the arrangement with Arioch and an appointment with the king while his neck was still on the line, all before he had known the dream or the interpretation. This displays great faith in, a, in the sovereign God 
And remember, Daniel was still a teenager, right? If he came when he was 14 or 15, and this is even three years later, he's still a teenager. So Daniel is faced with the impossible, and what steps does he take? He prays, then what? Tells his friends to pray. What else? They pray, and then um, it says, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. How could you have a vision of the night or a dream? So what did he have to do to be able to have a dream? He had to sleep. And then when he woke up, what did he do? Praised God. So he prayed. He rested, slept, and then he praised God. And so Daniel doesn't immediately go into the king with an interpretation. He doesn't have it yet. And so his first response was to pray. He let his friends know that, of the problem, and he asks them to, uh, uh, the ESV says, to seek mercy from the God of heaven. Um, uh, I think, Sandy, did I give you Matthew 18? Yes. Yeah. Matthew 18, 19 through 20. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Yeah, so that's the, that's the, the passage in, in Matthew where, where, it's, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am with them. Um, Obviously, the New Testament had not been written yet. <laughs> I'm not trying to, to, to do any of that, but, but that idea, that concept is still the same for, for Daniel as well as for us today. I think Daniel, he told the king he was going to interpret. Right. He had faith in God. Yeah. He just, before he prayed, he had faith in God, but he's been praying to God, to his God. Right. Yeah. So he, so Daniel knew, well, Daniel knew that God had the power to do it, both to interpret the dream and to save his life. Remember, because Daniel, Ariot came to gather him up to tear him limb from limb and destroy his house and make it a garbage heap. Right. Daniel knew that God had the power to do it. And so he gathered with other believers and they prayed fervently for God's will to be done. Now, based on what else we know about Daniel, based on what else we know about his friends, and based on what we're going to look at next week with Daniel chapter 3, we know that, that they knew God has the power. Now, will he do it? Is this the time that he will do it? And so there's, there's a great faith. But he asks for mercy from God. That's, that's, it's a, to seek mercy from the God of heaven. That's what he's asking is, is mercy. And then the mystery is revealed in a vision of the night. Vision of the night, like we said, it's a dream. And to dream, you have to sleep. But not just any kind of sleep. Right? When we dream, I talked about it has to be that REM sleep. That's the one that occurs much later in your sleep cycle. And so, um, so Daniel didn't have a fitful sleep. It was a good, solid sleep. Uh, and so imagine that your life is on the line. And you already have an appointment to see the king with an answer to the problem and you don't yet have the answer. I was thinking of something else about Daniel as a teenager. As, he, as a teenager, he probably had the boldness. He wasn't second-guessing himself. Yeah. He didn't have to think about, no, what, what's my mom, what's my dad going to say, what's my mother. He just knew it, and he had that boldness to say, this is what it is, and I'm right, and this is my plan. 
Yeah, Daniel was definitely bold. And if you want to write that on your list there on page 27, uh, that's something you can write that you've learned about Daniel, is that, that boldness. And it's not just a boldness in himself, though. It's a boldness in, in the power of God, right? And that boldness that he had is what let him go to sleep. He did what Nebuchadnezzar could not do. He turned it over to God and he slept. Now, this, this is, um, oh, I forgot to put our verse up there. Sorry. I do that every time. Anyway, um, so, so I had mentioned that, that sleep uh, is one of those things that helps you to be able to focus and to, to process, and without sleep you can't process. And so this is totally just um, off, the, off the wall and not exactly um, biblical. So don't, but uh, I couldn't help but think about those Snickers commercials from a few years ago. And my favorite was, was this one that I'm going to show you, I hope. But uh, there we go. So, so that commercial, I mean, that makes us laugh about it, but there are things that you're not thinking clearly when you're hungry, when your blood sugar is low. You're not thinking clearly when you're tired. We don't function well, but, but we need to remember, we need to go with what, uh, I hope I can get it here. I can't get to it, so we'll get to it in a little bit. <laughs> We need to remember that, that we need to, to rest and feed ourselves physically when we're struggling because we can rest in, in a great God, in a powerful God that can do it. And we need to, to challenge ourselves to have that boldness that Daniel has, that, that strong faith that gives him the power, the ability to rest. And so what's Daniel's first response after he learns the dream and the interpretation? It's there in, in verse 19 where it says, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So what did he do? He praised God. And, and so if you want to, if you are tracking your list there on page 26 in your notes, this would be where we want to, to, to get to. Um, but you can almost feel the joy in verses 20 through 23. Just that joy just emanating from Daniel. And in this blessing that Daniel gives, there are a lot of things that he says about God. And so if you, if you want to write them on your list, if you want to highlight them, if you want to, to write them in another spot, but I want us to think about um, the, the names of God that are given, the attributes of God that are given. And so in, in verse 19, even before and, and in other, uh, this isn't the first time, but uh, verse 19, it gives the name God of heaven. And so the heart of the Babylonian religion was the moon and the stars. Uh, that's why he had the, the importance of those astrologers. That's why they studied it so much. Um, and, and so Daniel is naming God, the big G God, in giving him the name God of heaven as the ruler of the heavenly bodies. This was a very intentional name from Daniel. But then he goes on and it says, um, To whom belong wisdom and might? 
Wisdom would be omniscience. Might would be omnipotence, that all-powerful. And then, let me see if I got this one done. I do have this one. And then it's, God is, it changes the times and seasons. That's, that's the, the no, not just knowing the future, but making the future happen. He removes kings and sets up kings. That's the sovereignty over the nations. Gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the understanding. And then there's, there's the one in, um, in verse 22, it says he reveals deep and hidden things. And we'll see in another passage this come back up. But then it also says he knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. And then he answered Daniel's prayer. He gave Daniel mercy. Daniel and the others mercy. God alone gave Daniel the dream, and Daniel recognizes that and acknowledges that in this passage. Uh, Dr. Daniel Aiken, he wrote the Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary on the book of Daniel. He's also the president at Southeastern Seminary. If you haven't heard him give a sermon, he's really good. Um, he was at Southern Seminary when Ray was there. But he says, interpreting the dream is important, but knowing and worshiping God is ultimate. And so Daniel's first response was praising the one who could answer him. Daniel wasn't in front of Arioch. He wasn't in front of Nebuchadnezzar. Not yet, at least. He was with his friends. He was surrounded by other believers, other people that knew that this was from God. And yet, he still took the time to make sure that God was blessed and knowing that it was not under Daniel's power that the dream was revealed. And so that's what, that's what we want to remember. When we approach a challenging situation, we want to approach it like Daniel did. We want to pray with others if needed. We want to rest because we want to rest in the promise of a sovereign God. And we want to praise because no matter what, it is part of God's perfect plan. That's, that's the, like for me, so Ray and I are opposites in this. Before we like travel to my parents or anything like that, right? I don't sleep well the night before we go because I'm thinking through, did, did we do this? Did we do that? Are we going to be, you know, and he, his response to stress is, just you can't wake him like he is knocked out in bed early which is good because he does most of the driving and so that's that's helpful <laughs> but but my response my natural response is to stay awake is to lie awake and and that's the that's the challenge that the 
that I have to remember is that I need to let my mind rest because I have turned it over to God. There's nothing else I can do. I can't control the other drivers on the turnpike or on, on the other uh, highways, right? I can't, I can't control the weather, but God can. And that's the part that, that I have to remember to, to rest in. Uh, I can on do... the other hand, you have done what needed to be done to get to that point. Yes, 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 because there was nothing else I could do at that point of, of laying in bed, so... Um, yeah. Then I gave somebody Daniel 2, 24 through 30. Then Daniel went to Ariok, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream to him. Ariok took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream is. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king a mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation, and that you may understand what went through your mind. So what was Daniel's first concern? What was it that he went and told Ariok? Very first thing. Well, it was it was it was take me to the king. But he says, "Don't destroy the wise men." The very first thing is, "Don't destroy the wise men." And so, so that's that was his first concern was those those. Uh, was the life of these other false prophets, really, these, these um, instruments of, of Satan. He didn't want them to be destroyed. And then he says, take me to the king. I know what's going on. And so then who does, who does Arioch, um this part was uh, when when Daniel, when he, when Ariok takes Daniel to the king, verse twenty-five. Who does does Ariok give credit to for finding for finding Daniel? Let's start with that. I found him. I found him. I found the answer to your problem. It's all me. All me. And and then he says, you know, Daniel will make known this interpretation, but but it's. I, I found somebody to fix your problem here. Remember me, right? Well, did he really go looking for somebody to fix the problem? Ariok was following orders and was finding him so he could be killed, right? So that he could be torn limb from limb. And so, so I just found that to be interesting. But then when Daniel goes to the king... Who does Daniel give credit to? To God. The God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he says, there is no human on earth that can do what you asked. So, so it, but it's the, but there is a God. Don't you love but God? It's one of my favorite things. And so, so Dr. Aiken says, Daniel's success comes not because he has more wisdom than anyone living. Rather, this is all God's doing in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king and that you, the king, may understand the thoughts of your mind. True knowledge concerning spiritual matters and the future come only from God. Did I give Daniel 2, uh, 31 through 35? 
maybe that. Yes. Ah, perfect. You saw O King and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding greatness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, the stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing field. And the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great nation and filled the whole earth. Now we finally get to learn we're at, we're in verse 30, right? We've, we've read 30 verses before this, but now we finally get to learn the content of the dream. This is the point where I want you to find in your handouts, page 30. This is a chart that has a picture of a statue. You've got two charts in your, in your one, but I want the one on page 30 that has chapter 2 and chapter 7 on it. So it'll have the picture of the statue and then it'll have two other columns. We're going to start this chart today. We're going to finish it in, in a few weeks um, when we look at Daniel chapter 7. Uh, and, and that's when we'll see Daniel's own dream, but we're going to revisit this dream at that point. But to, so to be ready for that dream, we're going to look at, um, we're going to look at this, this dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel is revealing the dream, the word there, um, where it says, you saw O king and behold a great image. In the ESV, that's idol. Basically, that's the word idol. It was a great big statue, and the statue was made of all these different metals. Um, being made from metal, it would, have, it would have reflected the light. It would have been something dazzling to look at in his dream. Um, and then we see a stone cut out without human hands that had to have come at the statue with some sort of some sort of force because it it crushes the statue so that it um, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors you remember in Ruth during the barley harvest they would thresh in the evenings because the wind would the, the breeze was stronger then and it would blow the shaft, the lighter weight material, the, those grassy parts. So the seed would fall and those grassy parts would, would blow away. Um, imagine a piece of iron being small enough to be blown away in the wind. You know, I could think about, I've, I've seen, you know, you see that um, edible gold stuff that's like the, paper or you think about gold glitter and silver glitter even though they aren't really like gold and silver the metals but but I could visualize I could visualize those things being small enough but thinking about iron when I think about iron I think about those cast iron pans right those things are heavy big and honking and heavy right and you think about it being broken enough that it can just be blown in the wind. I have a vision of my husband Marty when he grinds something on a grinding wheel. And mm -hmm. he takes a blade from a mower, which is iron. Yeah. And as he puts that on the wheel, you can see the pieces flying away. Yeah. They're just like little, little tiny slivers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so those, this, this stone, this stone was coming with enough force to make some of those little tiny slivers like you would see from a grinding wheel. That's, that's, the, that's what we're looking at. So it was likely not the image, not that idol, not that statue that was impressive to King Nebuchadnezzar. It was likely the stone. And then, and then becoming that stone, coming with the force, destroying the idol, but then becoming a mountain, that meant there was a worldwide significance 
to this stone. And so now we know the dream. We can also see why this would be a confusing dream to the king and why it would make him ask for an interpretation. So uh, Daniel 2, 36 through 45. Yeah. And a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as he saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as he saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made, made known to you, the king, what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation clear. And so... Here's the interpretation of the dream from Daniel, and we're going we're gonna to take a few minutes. We're going to break down these parts of the statue so that we can go ahead and start filling in that chart uh, on page, from page 30. So, for the record, while many scholars and theologians agree that the parts of the statues are great kingdoms or empires, there is some disagreement uh, as to the exact identification. For our purposes, though, we're going to go with the most widely accepted of those as we discuss things here. But if you read that there's something different, know that there are some people who, who do look at the historical record and see it as something slightly different. It's still the same idea that it's a, a great kingdom, a great empire, but that, that it may just be a different one than the one that we've given um, and then I am not a historian and so the dates that I'm gonna give you may be approximate this was even even the two or three that I looked at were different um, uh, had different dates so if you found different dates for something or you find different dates later use the other dates it, it, the exact dates don't make the, the big difference. So, what was the head made of? Gold. And it said this represented who? The Babylonian Empire. King Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. Remember that for next week as, you, or as you're doing your Daniel chapter 3 homework. Remember he was just the head of gold. So Babylon came to a relatively quick end. They were in power from about 636 B.C. to about 539 B.C. Uh, again, those are rough dates. But the, the point is, it was about 100 years, right? We want to remember this, the, the length of time there. I'm going to give you a minute to write down. <laughs> That first block. Okay, 
Yes. Yeah, sorry. I'm, I couldn't. Yeah, let me. Yeah, you're, you're filling in this square right here. And then in a few weeks, we'll fill in these squares over here. I thought I had mine. 